Well, good morning. I uh, have a couple things I want to just mention to you before we get started. And the first is that um, if you, on your way out, want to grab one of these Wyzetta weeklies, it'll tell you some of the things that are happening in the church. Uh, one of the things particularly that I'd love for you to know is that we have been in a process where we have just said if, <clears throat> if this... Uh, COVID experience and this sense of pausing, we are going to pause and we truly are going to allow God to reset us because we as a church don't want to necessarily go back to normal. We want to go back to a place where he is calling us and moving us and working in these new ways. And so we're talking about from here to there. We did a congregational survey. It was brought to you back in September and and shared with you some of those results, we're now in what we call a season of listening to God and to one another, where we'll be doing a number of things where we're in prayer and be doing a number of things where we actually try and hear what God is saying through you so that when we come to the first part of February, we'll kind of say, here's how we sense through you how God is resetting and moving us so that we will move from here to there. And so one of the things that's really important is the coming Sunday, November 15th, and then on that Wednesday, the 18th, there are opportunities to um, sign up to get into a Zoom group. You can go on the website, and if you just go down a little bit, you'll see where you can click into it, and you can choose the group that is appropriate to who you think you are or where you fit. Another easy way to do it, if you have a phone, is just to text, and you text our church phone number, uh, I was trying to see if I can do it here, I think it's 763 yeah, there we go. <clears throat> you can do that, 763-473-9463. And if you would do that, you can then put the word focus, and it'll bring you right to those um, places where you sign up, and you get that drop-down box, and you can sign up for one of those. We would love for as many people as possible to take part and to do that. So if you would do that, we'd appreciate it, and uh, and we really want to hear from you. We want to engage everyone, both in prayer to God and hearing him, as well as hearing one another and what he has to say through us as we move to that place of there. Now, someone said to me this morning, you're dressed kind of summery, you know, no socks and this shirt. And I thought, yeah, exactly. I'm going to live in Minnesota this last week of summer as best I can. <clears throat> and uh, I hope you're doing the same and enjoying it. We broke a number of records. In fact, I looked at one, I think it was either Wednesday or Thursday, uh, because I think three records were set in this last week of temps. One of them broke a record from like 18, I think it was 74 or something like that. And I thought, wow, that's quite a long time ago in one sense. That was actually just nine years after the Civil War. And I thought, wow, that's record breaking. And thought about, man, how in one sense... So much has happened. There are now cars and planes and computers and not just cars, planes and computers. There's all kinds of other things that are changing and have changed so rapidly in in just those years to this date. One of the things that has been of a great change and we have gone through as a country something similar in the sense we feel this incredible divide and split and we have now a president-elect I just want us as, as believers and followers of Jesus, I don't care what side you're on, to recognize that we are followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God and we will do what we're supposed to do within this kingdom of this earth and to follow him to the best we can, one another, towards this aim 
of, of bringing Christ to as many people as possible, bringing his cause to those who are needy and poor and ill and justice and all the things that he calls us to do is to lead in such a way that we follow him and his will. So let's pray. Father, I pray um, right now for our nation. I do pray, God, for your hand sovereignly to guide it, and I pray that you would bring healing. But I pray right now, God, as we prayed for a suffering church around the world, God, I pray for this church that we would not suffer in separation from one another, that you would bring your church together and that through us, your spirit would work and be active. I pray in ways unprecedented because we are going to press into you the true Lord and King, the anointed one over all this, not earth and the world around us, but universe and beyond, we pray. And thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to share with you here as we continue in this series in Acts, um, I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was a podcast by Conan O'Brien. It's called Conan Needs a Friend or something like that. And I was listening to that and he was interviewing another com- uh, comic, um, Ray Romano of Everybody Loves Raymond kind of fame. And they were talking back and forth. And it was very interesting and they had some interesting dialogue. But at one point they just talked about the embarrassment of their first comedy club experience. And they kind of shared some of their stories around that. Which reminded me, <clears throat> as I was preparing this message, and we look at Acts, where it's the very first message that Peter ever gives. It reminded me of some of my uh, first experiences, especially even my first experience. Um, you talk to pastors, and, and they'll tell you about their first uh, time they ever preached, the embarrassment they had. I have a friend who's an author and, and well-known speaker who, the first time he spoke, he fainted. I, I, obvi- I didn't do that, thank God. My first message... Um, didn't go as well as I had hoped and expected. I was 21, I was a senior at Wheaton College, and I was supposed to preach at a, con- a convalescent home in Glen Ellen, Illinois, and um, I was really nervous. There were about 20 people there, a number of them with their heads down, but there were a few who were actually looking at me and smiling, and um, and they made eye contact with me. At least I thought they were smiling at me and with me. Um, and I was about five to ten minutes or so into the message, nervous, trying to get through it, talk about it. And one of the ladies I was looking at who was continuing to smile at me was in a wheelchair and she started to roll up towards me. And that was a little bit, you know, like what's happening here. She continued to roll up and I, I continued to try and go on with the message. And finally, um, with this determined look in her eyes and a smile on her face, she got like about about a foot or so away from me, and I just leaned down to see what she's going to say, and all of a sudden she just yelled, fried chicken, fried chicken, fried chicken, three times. That was off-putting. I wasn't talking about chicken. And I just didn't know what to do, so I just stepped back. No one came in to move her. I just continued through the rest of the message, and it was about 10 minutes more, and I just thought, okay, God... Is this what you've called me to do? Um, I I didn't get the results that Peter did. If you look at Acts chapter two, <clears throat> Peter gives his very first message, and and man, he he gave the best message he ever gave was his very first message. 
I mean, he started right out of the box really well. He didn't have just one person coming forward with some nonsensical words. It's told in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that 3,000 came forward when he gave the altar call. I mean, that's an impressive first message. So let me just share with you the scene. We talked about it last week. They've been waiting for God to move. Jesus has told them to wait. And so they're waiting. And then as they're in a room and they're praying together and they're having a time as community together, they hear this loud sound of like a rushing wind. It's like a rushing wind. It's like a jet engine, if you want to say it, without any of the air, making this loud noise. And, and as that happens, the Spirit of God descends on them and there's tongues of fire on each of their heads. <clears throat> and then, I don't know how and what it would look like, but they kind of broke out of the room, probably to see what was going on outside as well. And outside, all kinds of people were gathering because the city was filled with people from all around the world. There were people from the East Parthian and all the way to Rome and from the South and North gathered together because it was one of the two of three festivals that you were supposed to come to. And this was the big festival because it was the week of harvest, the harvest festival. It was the party festival, if you want to put it that way. So that's the one that drew just lots of people. So it's crowded. They're coming out. And as they come out, they have these tongues of fire in their head, and they start speaking in languages that they themselves don't even know. And as they're speaking these languages, people are trying to figure it out. And some of them are saying, well, I hear them speaking my language. And they're talking about the incredible works of God. And they're hearing this as it's being kind of spoken out by different people. And they start looking around and go, man, this is weird. These are Galileans. These are backcountry kind of hill folks. They're not the ones who went to university that are speaking a number of different languages. What's going on? What's up? And that's kind of what you see as you get into the background, as we come to verse 2.14, and as Luke writes, then, then Peter stepped forward. Literally, it's a passive form of to stand, which gives you more of the idea that he's standing there, it says, with the 11, and they're, they're looking at Peter, because Peter was the one who would usually speak and put his foot in his mouth, so to speak. And they're kind of looking, and the idea, and even with the verb is all kind of looking at one another, who's going to say something, and it's almost like they kind of push Peter forward in that sense. And so you get this sense that Peter stands forward and he's responding to what these people are saying. And Peter, unprepared, with no notes, he steps forward. God's spirit descends even as unschooled and as untrained and as unprepared as he may be. He had within him at that moment the unstoppable, unbelievable, unsurpassable wisdom and power of God's spirit. What I want you to note is what made his word so powerful. What makes this, as I've titled the series, unstoppable, is that he is aligned with God and through his spirit is able to do what God calls him to do. I just want to say as we get into this, I don't care how unprepared or how untrained you are. I don't care where you're at right now in your own life. I know you could be in a time of difficulty or a time of pain. You could be in a time of joy. You could be in a time where you're seeing your gifts being used well. You could be in a time where you don't even know what you're supposed to do with what you got. But I do know this. If you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the unstoppable power and presence of God. 
And there will be lies in your head that says you're not able to, you can't do it. I want to tell you, as you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, God will move and work through you. He will bring you through whatever time you're in. He will bring you to the place he wants you to be. And so Peter steps forward. It's not about how gifted or talented or trained or skilled any one of us are. It's not about us at all. It's about Jesus and his Holy Spirit. I shared with you that I had this word a, a, a while back when I was really in a place where I, I was in a low moment. I was trying to figure out what God was doing in my life in the church. And, and it just was really about a year and a half ago as I was maybe even less than that. Um, as time just kind of, you know, seems to get longer. It could be even a year ago. And I remember praying with three other people who I really know hear God and listen to God. And we were praying together. And they were using some of the stuff that we use in Gateway Prayer Ministry. And we were just kind of going through it and kind of what are some of the lies? You know, what is God saying to you? What do you hear God saying about that? And I remember kind of going and, and my modus operandi is you got to make it happen. I got that from my childhood. I think it's part of my personality nature. It's you got to make it happen. So I have it both in my history and in within me. And, and, and I was thinking I need to participate with God. He's going to participate with me to make it happen. I'm up here in my head. And, and I, 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 and they're saying, so what do you hear God saying? And I, I go, I can't say that because that's, I know, I don't believe. And all of a sudden I had this deep impression in my heart from the Spirit of God. And, and, and the words were, I, I, don't, I can't, it's not like a voice, the words were just present in me that said, watch. I'll make it happen. And I just said, God, okay. And I've been doing a lot of watching. It is a really fun place to be. Now, I have to confess that I do a lot of kind of getting in and trying to make it happen on my own. But you know what? I'm learning. I'm seeking to learn how to watch. What I want you to watch in this passage here, what I want you to pay attention to, is there are three things that happen. There's a divine pattern that takes place. There's what is then I call a divine promise. And it ends with this divine presence. And so we're going to look at this together. And first, there is this divine pattern, and you'll see it all throughout the Word of God. God works, and then we respond. We witness to it. (coughs) And so throughout Acts, you'll see that pattern. God works, and and we respond. God works in Pentecost. They start asking questions. Peter responds to their questions about what they're seeing by just witnessing, sharing what he knows. He just chooses to step forward. He sees God work, and he steps forward. Acts chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. The people are dumbfounded. They're taking guesses. They're asking, what are, how could these Galileans do it? What's going on? Listen to what it says. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. And then Peter stepped forward. And with the 11 other apostles, He shouted to the crowd, because they didn't have a PA system then, so he shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this, these people are not drunk, so he's responding to what they're seeing. They're not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I know you say it's noon somewhere, that's not going on. No, what you, I added that, that's not in the scripture. Anyway, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Here's the pattern. God's spirit moves. 
And, and we are to move in response to that with his Holy Spirit. It's not about you. It's not about how trained you are. It's not about how skilled you are. It's, not about, it's just when you see God move, he begins to prompt you and you step out in faith and you move. It's seen all throughout the book of Acts. We'll walk, you'll see it again and again. God's at work. John and Peter, they walk by. God prompts them to, to speak to this guy who's asking for gold and silver, and they don't have gold and silver. And so they, they respond as God tells them to. There's a healing, and then Peter gives his second sermon. We'll see this response throughout God's word. It was the pattern of the life of Jesus. You may kind of go, I mean, Jesus actually did this? Yes, he did. He actually tells us he did that. There was a time... In John chapter 5, it's a Sabbath day. He's walking through the pool of Bethsaida. And as he's walking through, it says in verse uh, 3 of chapter 5, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. There was an invalid that was there who had been brought by his family over the years for 38 years. And Jesus with his followers, I don't know if they're taking a shortcut or the spirit prompted him to walk through, but he walks through there and at a certain point, he's walking by all kinds of people, so recognize this. And he stops at one, prompted by the spirit, and he gives us healing on the Sabbath. And he walks by and we're not told that he heals anybody else. And you have this incredible pattern. And, and, the, and at that point, the religious people of that day were really upset because healing on the Sabbath was a work. And then he told them to take his, his cot and to get up and walk and go home and, 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 and share what happened. Walking by taking your cot was an act of work. So the religious people are pretty ticked. They don't care about the activity of God as much as they care about the fact that the activity of God is getting the way of their own power and their own self-righteousness. And so listen to what Jesus says to these guys. Here's the pattern again. He tells you in verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. That's an interesting thing. He is both God and man. But he chose in this time, because we know he wasn't omnipresent, he chose to give up the omnipotence and he chose to give up the omniscience. Not that it wasn't there, he just willingly put it aside and didn't tap into it. He was totally reliant on the Holy Spirit. He can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing. So when the father begins to move and the Holy Spirit prompts him, he acts. What I love about that is because of the salvation we received, because we have set toward God and repented and said, I, I forgive me of my sins. I'm going to be a person who lives in your forgiveness and forgives others. I'm going to be a person who experiences your blessing and blesses others. When I walk like this, and this is, becomes the flow of my life, I'm going to see you move. I'm going to spirit, see the, sense the Spirit's prompting, and I'm going to step into what you've called me to do. He does only what he sees the father doing, verse 19. And whatever the father does, the son does also. Now, I wish I could say, whatever the father does, I do also. I don't. And neither do you, because we, we have sinned. Jesus didn't. Even Jesus followed this divine pattern. And this pattern is still what we're following today. It has not changed since the book of Acts. And that is that when God acts, we, we step into it. <clears throat> Henry Blackaby wrote a book called Experiencing God. And here's his main point. He says, if you want to experience God in your life, then you must pay attention to what God is doing around you 
enjoin him. Now, that was written a number of years ago. And every time I read it, it's still profound. If you want to experience God's work in your life, you have to be seeing what he's doing, just like Jesus did, just like Peter did, and then you need to join him. He has what he calls seven realities of experiencing God. And I want to read these to you because I think they're good to know. And if you don't have time to copy down or write them or take a screenshot of it, you can just look it up in the internet, just seven realities of experiencing God. It's become somewhat popular. One is this, God is always at work around you. That's a fact. God is always at work around you. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is both real and personal. We don't have some deistic God who's up there who set things in motion and then you kind of just unwind it. God invites you, three, to become involved in his work. So he's always extending an invitation saying, I'd love for you. Tomorrow when you wake up, how about praying and saying, God, I, I realize that this, you're, this is real and you're, and you're at always at work around me. Help me to see how you're at work and, and, and thank you for inviting me into it because when I see it, I want to step into it. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit and through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purpose, and his ways. So if you want to really understand how God is revealing himself and how he's working, there's just a number of ways that God does to. And we talk specifically around one, the Spirit of God can use lots of different things, and we also talk about the Word of God. And the Spirit is always in line with the Word. Five, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. That, that is really true as well. I can tell you, I see God work, I see God moving, I'm put in a situation, and in that situation, I'm going, okay, if I say something here, people might think I'm weird. I, I, I remember, especially when I was younger and this whole thing, I, I remember going, I mean, people could talk about UFOs and, and, and uh, the Loch Ness Monster and all these other things, and no one thinks you're weird, but the moment you bring up Jesus, <laughs> wow, oh, that's, he, he, you'll always be a crisis of faith when God prompts you, you know, he might be prompting you to um, step forward and, and, and encourage someone to do something really difficult, and you're going, I don't know, if I'm not that kind of, you know what? If you want to experience God, you have to step out in faith. You'll feel that crisis. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. I like this because mostly what I seek to do, and I think most people seek to do, is we want God to make major adjustments, right? So he can join my story. You know, God, today I'm going, to, I'm going to do this, so I'd ask you to bless me. And God says, no, that's not how it works. I want you to be watching all around what I'm doing. And as I'm moving and as I'm working and I prompt and I invite you and you have this crisis of faith, here's what I want you to do. I want you to adjust your life to join my story. And you will be writing the best story you could imagine. And seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him. That, that line's huge. You come to know God by experience as you obey him. And he accomplishes his work through you. We get to know God through reading his word. We get to know God through hearing messages like this. These are all good ways in which you know God. But if you want to experience him fully in your life where you go, whoa, 
I know God's real. Start obeying him as you join his story. So I just want to ask you this question under this divine pattern. Are you willing to say, God, I recognize that you are at work and how do you want me to step into this just to witness, um, and I don't mean witness in the, in, in the traditional way we say it, but to witness to what you're doing. Will I be, will I be willing to live my life and, and, and look around? Do you believe God loves you and desires you to personally experience his presence and power through you? There's a divine promise, and, and the divine promise just adds to this, and that's what you see as, as Peter goes on in this message. He says that God will fill you and you will speak and serve. So here is Peter. <clears throat> He's got tongues of fire, still probably afraid, I would imagine, to some degree. People are asking all these things. He's feeling the prompting of the Spirit. He steps into it, and as he steps into it, I'm sure in his mind, do you think he's in his mind has this outline of this message? Really, put yourself in his shoes. He is just being obedient to God. He's trusting that when he steps forward, God will give him the words that he's to speak and that God will also use him to serve in whatever way he's supposed to. Because God fills, and when God fills, he then gives you what ability you need, whether it's to speak or to serve or whatever he's calling you to do, he gives you that ability to do it. So now God's got people's attention. Peter steps forward. And he begins to share, here's the divine promise. You need to know what's happening right now. We have been waiting for this as a people. This is what God has been promising. And so he reads Acts 2, verses 16 through 23. And he's quoting a prophecy of a prediction of what's going to come. And he says, no, what you see, verse 16, was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So there's a whole lot of things around prophesy here. Prophesy, we think of prophesying as a predictive thing. We think often when we think of the word of God, it's all about stuff in the future. That's not the major um, understanding of the word to prophesy. The major understanding of the word to prophesy is in a situation, a circumstance you're in, God's spirit kind of takes what is called the rhema word. The logos is what we refer to when we talk about the Bible, but there's an rhema, which is like a sword kind of word that is active and living. And in that moment, he speaks and you, in a sense, speak forth for God. Okay. Now, you're not like the Logos word, but in that moment, God is actively speaking through you. Now, if you have questions about this, I, I encourage you to go back to last January. Um, I did a message. It was on January 26th of 2020 titled Speaking Forth God, where we, we just took time to just talk about this gift of prophecy. So I encourage you to, to, to look that up. Just go back and listen to that podcast. But he says... They will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and clouds of smoke. These are all the things that in the heavens are pointing to the fact that something dramatic is happening in this time That when, when, when Peter is talking. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red and before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. So you have to understand, he says in the last days, in the beginning, last days for the people who are... Who are um, uh, in the New Testament times, as well as for us, means this, that at the point of, um, God is saying there's a series of things that's going to happen. 
Jesus is going to come, he's going to die, he's going to be raised again, he's going to be ascended to heaven, he's going to be seated at the right hand, he's going to become the one who rules in heaven. And from that time until he comes again, that's why he says, the sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord. This, the last days is everything from the time Jesus first came to the time Jesus comes again. So you have to understand, the last days is, is like, you know, a thousand days are for like, is like a day for the Lord. We're living in maybe day two. I think any time in day three, Jesus could come again, if you want to put it that way. If you're living by God's calendar. And so in these last few days, we're in this last day. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is a day that God's coming, a day of judgment, and if you want to know God and experience him, just open your heart, acknowledge your need of him, acknowledge that you have sinned against him and other people, ask for forgiveness, and he will come in, because it's by the name of Jesus that's saved, that everyone's saved. So listen, here's the promise God made long ago. He would send his spirit to fulfill the work that he's called us to do. He will fill us to fulfill the work he's called us to do. I want you to look and think about this as we go through Acts. One of the most important doctrines in the book of Acts, is really interesting, we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, but one of the most important doctrines of the book in Acts is the one of the ascension. It's often referred to. Because the ascension is about this. Here is the work, the sacrifice, and all the work that Jesus did through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, and then he ascends. He actually goes to heaven. And because he goes to heaven, he is now beginning to reign there. And, and he even says that if you go to Acts chapter 1. He, he, Luke says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's the ascension. And you will receive power, he goes on, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And after that, he was taken up before their very eyes. This fulfillment has taken place. The promise from the Old Testament has been fulfilled. The Spirit of God has come and is here filling each and every one of us so that we can speak and serve when he calls us to speak and serve. God has promised to fill you with this Holy Spirit, and God will. And as you in obedience speak and serve where he calls you to, he's telling us that it will happen. He will show up. You have to understand, this is something that was promised by God. We're talking about that promise by God, predicted by Joel. And catch what, this coming and filling the Holy Spirit was something that was was actually prayed for by Moses. It was one of his great hopes. Listen to what it says in Numbers eleven twenty four through 30. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took, listen, some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They began to go out and speak forth the word of God. We're not talking about predictive stuff. We're just talking about they started to speak forth the word of God with power in the circumstances so that people could know God. How were two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp and they were listed among the elders, but they did not go out of the tent. 
So they weren't there for when the, the Spirit was distributed to these 70. There was only 68. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran up to Moses and, and, and told Moses, Eldad and Medad, they're prophesying in the camp. Now, I, I find this funny as I was going through this and reading through this again. The young man was Joshua, son of Nun. I mean, this is, this is his, Moses' number one guy. This is his key guy. And he's really upset. Moses, they're trying to do what you're doing. And Moses' response isn't anything like, oh, I gotta hold this for myself. He listened to his response. And, and Moses spoke up and said, because um, Joshua says, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And this is what God did at Pentecost. He poured out his spirit, not just on a church, a few people there at this time. He poured out his spirit on any person whose heart's open and willing to be used by God to be a part of his story. That's what Peter is saying here. What Moses desired, Joel promised would come true. This is what he promises. In the last day, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, your sons and daughters. It's so inclusive, young men and old men. In those days, I'll pour my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. There There will be no distinction but one, and that is that you have chosen to follow Jesus and opened your heart to him. And Peter is so convinced of this. Listen to what he writes. He writes only um, two letters. And in one of the letters, near the end of his letter, in chapter 4, in verses 7 through 11, listen to what he says. He's affirming this. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show God's deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sin. Cheerfully share your home with those who who need a meal or a place to stay. Basically, it's just be hospitable. That's how the church worked in that day. They didn't have buildings like this. They just opened their homes to people, and that's where people began to hear about God. And then he says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well and serve to, uh, and serve one another. And now he, just, he, he breaks the, the gifts down into two categories, okay? Two categories, all the different gifts. Do you have the gift of speaking? I don't care what kind of speaking it is. Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Serving. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies, whether it's administrative kind of serving or it's helps or it's gifts of mercy, however it is. When you have opportunity, you need to recognize this, that as God is moving and he, pleases you, he, he prompts you into places, you need to move into it as if God himself is moving into that place and serve with that kind of heart. Then there's the divine presence, and this is the last part of it, and a lot to this part of the message, and I'll kind of go through it uh, uh, more quickly. It, it's all about this, that he's saying... You know, if the pattern is this is the way that God works and his promise is to fill you so that you can speak and serve him, he's now saying, I want you to understand that you are the ones that are continuing the work of Jesus who is king. Here's, here's the divine presence. 
In Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who's ruling. You as a church are continuing the work of Jesus that he began when he was on earth and now is in heaven, seated. And so he wants the people of of Israel to understand, this is the one you've been waiting for. This is the king. And and there's a number of things he does in this argument. Acts 2, verses 22 through 41. If you go through these verses, um, the first thing is he just lets you know, people of Israel, listen. So once again, he wants to get their attention. He's already shared a couple of the, the promise here. Now he wants to get their attention and say, here is the presence of God. He shows up in Jesus. And here has, here's how you can know. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs to him, as you well know. So the very first you can say, he says, guys, if you want to know this Jesus is king, um, God authenticates him as his servant. He's the real deal. He's the one who is prophesied about. Now, I want, I want to just mention something as, as I was going through this and thinking through this. It's really important for us to understand today. There are a lot of people, as you go out and you talk about Jesus, there's people who have a little bit of knowledge and they'll say, yeah, this whole idea of Jesus being the king and being this divine one and all this stuff, that all came maybe 100 years, 200 years later as the church looked into it and they needed to make these statements so that they could make Jesus more than he was. That's not really maybe what the apostles, etc., thought. Luke, remember, he's an investigative reporter. He was trained in the best universities that day. He's going back and he's looking and he's talking to eyewitnesses. One of the eyewitnesses he talks to is Peter, as well as other apostles. You can bet he asked Peter, what did you say that day? You can bet he talked to others. What did you hear Peter say that day? He kind of condenses and takes this message. And he's showing us something that's really important here. The People who followed Jesus, his followers, not just the apostles, the ones who followed him, they really believed that Jesus was both God and man. They had a high Christology, a high view of who Christ is. They saw Jesus not as just someone who is a good example and some moral example for us, maybe who gives us some wisdom. They saw Jesus as the one who actually gave you the ability to walk in the very presence of God and know him and love him and and know you're loved by him. He's the one who forgave you. Jesus is this king who's in authority right now. And one of the ways is, is God authenticated it. He endorsed it with miracles. And then he goes on and he says, but God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Wait a second. You kind of go, could this have been, was there, was this taking God by surprise? Did it not go the way he wanted to? And what Peter's saying, it wasn't even a mistake. Here's the second thing he says. Not only was it authenticated by God, but this was the assignment God gave to Jesus. He knew ahead of time. It didn't surprise God. It didn't take him by, um, it wasn't, wasn't some thing that wasn't arranged or planned. God knew exactly what he wanted Jesus to do. He assigned it and designed it for Jesus to fulfill this work on earth for us. Notice Peter continues, he makes it clear that even though God's plan was that Jesus would die and that that, that, that was part of God's plan, he doesn't let them off the hook at all. You know, we kind of want to just say, well, you know, God's sovereign, so, you know, it's all good. No, God, there's a, there's a real delicate balance between what God sovereignly does and what we're responsible for. And so what you see in this picture is, is, is Peter says, with the help of lawless Gentiles, I, I mean, I just, you just read this if you're sitting here, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. We are responsible for our sin. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. And then these words are really interesting. For death could not keep him in its grip. 
So the Christ's resurrection, you have he authenticates it with miracles. It's been an assignment that he was given. It, it was arranged and designed. And now he says with the resurrection that you can tell that God accepted it because God took the sacrifice and he raised Jesus from the dead, which is the sense that, hey, his sacrifice that is for you is good. But he says death could not keep him in its grip. The idea is that the life and love force of God in Christ was so great that nothing could hold him from bursting forth out of the belly of death. It would be like telling a pregnant woman in their final hour, can you imagine, she says, keep the baby in. Just about another hour. And God is saying, no. Jesus is so full of life. His power is so, so strong that even death could not hold him in place. And so Peter continues to prove further as he goes beyond the resurrection now and points to the fact that even the resurrection is is something that God um, was pointing to in David. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me and I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead. Or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And now Peter says, dear brothers, think about it. This was a very important passage to Jews. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that the one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. You can actually, he was saying, <clears throat> go down to the gravesite where David was buried. They could have done that. And he said, you know what? It was not. This passage that you hold to be so important for the one to come has been fulfilled in Jesus. And so God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of it. Now he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, see the ascension again, how important is this? The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies and make them a footstool under your feet. God's ascension, the ascension of Christ and the glorification of Christ is God's appointment. He appoints him to the place that he is king over all this earth forever. And so Peter says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus is Lord Messiah. He's the anointed one promised by David. He is your king. And right now, no matter what you think's going on in this world, he is your king in heaven. And more than that, his king, we are his subjects and we are his servants. And he wants us to work for him to allow for all people to know how good and gracious he is. We don't just go, oh, God's in heaven, so, you know, things are the way they are. No, we say God's in heaven, and Jesus is the king in heaven. And because he is, when, he, when he's moving around us, we're going to respond. And, and when he begins to, and when we respond and he fills us, we're going to speak and serve. And we are going to be a light in the darkness. We are going to see God move. Not because of us. 
but because Jesus is king. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray. Father, I pray that as we continue to keep our eyes open to you and as we continue to watch you work around us, when we have those crises of faith, that we would step forward knowing that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and that as we obey you, we will experience you at work in us and around us so that we could continue the work you started, Jesus, until the day you come and finish it. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.